This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm your host, Peggy Hodgkins, coming to you from Moab, Utah. Today we are talking about potholes on the Colorado Plateau. These depressions occur primarily in sandstone, unassociated with any drainage, and they are home to ephemeral pools of water. In other words, the water is only present for brief periods. Potholes provide shelter for life in a hostile environment, and many species have survived to the modern day only because these rain-filled pools are available. These depressions can be quite small, and a lot of those have that black biofilm and Uh maybe nothing else. Some of them accumulate a little bit of sediment, but if you look in the sediment and you look around in there, there are a plethora of organisms in there. So that's an ecosystem. And if you walk on it, ride your bike on it, drive on it, then you will wear that system down. You will kill those organisms. We are speaking today with Tim Graham, a well-known name in the science community of Moab and beyond. As a biologist and ecologist, Tim has studied many microfauna on the Colorado Plateau. But today, he is speaking with us about the communities that live in potholes. So potholes are you know, temporary aquatic environments. Organisms that you find living in those potholes have to have some way to survive that dry period when there is no water. And there are three main strategies um, that are used. Most insects and amphibians escape the pool when it starts to dry up. That has some hazards for them because both the insects and the Amphibians have to reach the adult stage before they're capable of leaving the pool. So if you think about a tadpole, it's an aquatic organism. It breathes using gills. It feeds on algae in the water. As an adult toad, it is breathing with lungs and it's feeding on insects and other invertebrates that it finds on the surface of the ground. So it's a terrestrial animal at that point. So If the pool dries out before the tadpole can metamorphose into an adult, then the tadpoles will die. And the same is true for insects. So that's escape. The next strategy that very few species use that I'm aware of, but I call it the Tupperware strategy. And they seal their surface from water loss and stay wet inside. And so it's a good strategy for the short term, because as soon as water falls back into the pool, then they can become active within seconds. But it's really very tough to be completely waterproof, especially if you're trying to still be alive and you need some gas exchange because you're still metabolizing. And so you're needing to take in oxygen and give off carbon dioxide. So it works for a few months, maybe up to a year or so. And if you're dry longer than that, then chances are that strategy will fail and and you'll die. And then the third strategy is the one that, that I think is most interesting and the most bizarre, if you will. And it's often referred to as cryptobiosis. And crypto means hidden, biosis means life. So it's organisms that are alive, but you can't really measure that they're alive. You can't measure metabolic heat being given off carbon dioxide being given off or oxygen consumed um, because that amount is so small, we can't measure it. It's also called anhydrous 
or anhydrobiosis, which means without water. And so organisms that use this strategy can lose up to 92%, maybe more of the water in their cells and still remain alive. And the organisms in the big potholes that, that use this are the crustaceans that um, I think are some of the most interesting organisms in the potholes. So fairy shrimp and tadpole shrimp, clam shrimp, their eggs are cryptobiotic and they dry up and they're very stable in that dry state. In fact, these cryptobiotic organisms can last for years in potholes without getting wet. They have been documented to sit on a shelf in a jar or a bag for over 50 years. And they've been taken into space and brought back to Earth. And once they're put in water, they hatch. They are possibly some of the oldest species on Earth. What the egg does while it's drying out, it's busy making a sugar called trehalose. There are parts of the trehalose sugar structure that mimic a water molecule. And they're in the same spatial configuration is similar to a water molecule. And so as the egg is drying out, trehalose molecules are plugged in where the water molecules would be. And then when water comes back in, the water molecules replace the trehalose. And now those proteins are in that cytoplasm in an aqueous solution, and that protein can then start to function again. So these cryptobiotic species have they always survived in ephemeral pools? As far as the crustaceans go, I don't know if they were always in ephemeral pools, but they used to be this group of crustaceans, the branchiopods. Branchi means gill, pod means foot. So they breathe through their feet. They have oxygen absorbing structures on their feet, on their legs. The branchiopods used to be the most abundant crustacean on Earth, that class of, uh, of organisms, that group. And they were found in all aquatic systems. So in the oceans, they were very abundant in freshwater systems, streams and lakes, and probably in ephemeral pools, saline lakes, um, all of that stuff. With the evolution of insects, so the branchiopods are, are large, they're fairly clumsy swimmers, slow, easy prey. And so as insects evolved, most aquatic insects are, seem to be predators. And then with the evolution of fish, great big mouths, um, large bodies, um, rapid swimmers, then those branchiopods that were living in systems where aquatic insects and fish could survive, were eliminated. So we don't have them in freshwater systems. We don't have any in the oceans anymore. But in places where fish can't survive, so pools that dry up or pools that are very salty, like the Great Salt Lake, high alpine lakes that freeze to the bottom, those kinds of situations and high latitude conditions, you could still have branchiopods. When the potholes do dry up, what is in the biofilm, the dark color within a pothole? So that, that black film above the sediment is probably a community of algae, 
cyanobacteria that are cryptobiotic. So the biofilm is basically a cryptobiotic community that when dry, it's dormant. So if you see a pothole and it, it's, it's not filled with sediment, it's not, it doesn't have a black film in it. Could you maybe surmise that that community had been destroyed somehow? I mean, does it have to have the biofilm to say that there's actually life in there? I don't think the biofilm is critical. There's some thought that the biofilm might reduce infiltration into the rock. And so it could prolong the wet yeah. phase. So if the, if the potholes, say, fill with soil and there's, you know, juniper growing in it or some Mormon tea growing in it, are those cryptobiotic organisms still underneath there? As it fills up, they probably are consumed by typical terrestrial soil oh, okay. uh, organisms gotcha. yeah. that, that are cruising through the soil, feeding on dead organic material. And certainly once it's covered up, then the photosynthetic organisms are not able to photosynthesize anymore. And while they may be tolerant of living, you know, they may be able to live for a number of years without having to photosynthesize because they're not active, other things might be coming along and feeding on them. And in the soil, they may be wet, but unable to photosynthesize. And most of these organisms, if they get wet, then they don't have a lot of control over whether they metabolize or not. People often wonder what happens if a pothole gets a little bit of rain, crustacean eggs hatch, but then the pothole dries up before they mature. In that scenario, you would lose that species from that pothole. But the species have evolved in order to accommodate for this. We know the saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And the pothole critters are stuck in one basket. So they don't have any choice. You know, they lay their eggs and it's in that same pothole basket. But Mark Twain had a different perspective on that. And he said, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. And so the way they watch that basket is they lay eggs with different kinds of hatching criteria. The crustaceans watch their basket by producing eggs that hatch after one filling or after two weddings or three. They're in the same physical basket, but they're in different response baskets. Back to the biofilm in the potholes. It looks a lot of time in a dry pothole looks a lot like just a weathered rock, a weathered rock, you know, that can be um, more iron or manganese or whatever that does weather to a darker color is totally different because it's in a pothole. It's actually living versus, you know, the iron oxides and, you know, the desert varnishes are not. Like if you think about desert varnish on a big cliff face that, that kind of bluish black, shiny surface. I think now the general tendency is to think that, or the, the studies have shown that it's mostly a chemical process and it's not related to biology at all. If you think about the stripes where you can see that water has poured over the, the cliff top, vertical stripes of dark and light and so on. If you look at those stripes, I think they are, this is just my impression that the black stripes on that pour-off are probably a biotic community 
like the pothole biofilm, or at least there's a there are some components there. there because they get leaving. ephemeral water. They get right. Water. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. If they're really cryptobiotic, then they can hang out for a couple of years till the next precise thunderstorm. What impacts do humans have by whether it be foot, vehicle, bike, by running over or in these potholes? Impacts on the dry pothole, they get a physical crust on the surface. It's probably a mix of biological structure. It's not as cohesive as the biological soil crusts that we all know so much about around here. Those photosynthetic organisms, the algae, the cyanobacteria that are growing in the pool, when they dry out, they adhere to the soil particles and they form a bit of a crust. And that crust is resistant to erosion by wind. So anything that breaks it, breaks that crust, like walking across the biological soil crust anywhere else, is going to make that sediment susceptible to being eroded out of the pothole. If you're Genetic material is sitting in that sediment waiting for the next uh, rain event and it gets blown out, then the chances are that those genetic lines in the pool could be lost. These depressions can be quite small and a lot of those have that black biofilm and Mm -hmm. maybe nothing else. Some of them accumulate a little bit of sediment, but if you look in the sediment and you look around in there, there are a plethora of organisms in there. So that's an ecosystem. And if you walk on it, ride your bike on it, drive on it, then you will wear that system down. You will kill those organisms. So dry, stay out of those potholes. When they're wet in the pools that I've been looking at for a long time up in the sand flats area, I'll be up there and the pools, you know, they look like they're doing fine. They're clear. They've got tadpole shrimp and fairy shrimp and and uh, maybe some insects, depending on whether it rained hard enough recently. And then I'll come back a few days later, and there will be particular pools that are very cloudy. In some cases, you can tell to some extent what made them cloudy. Like I found a pair of mountain bike gloves sitting next to a pothole that was very cloudy. Chances are some mountain biker decided to take a dip. Sometimes you can see footprints of dogs or people in the mud along an edge or something. I think what happens in those situations is that those ecosystems, they dry out and they basically start from scratch again when it gets wet. And so the chemical constitution of the water resets. So you get basically distilled water coming from the sky. That water goes into the pool some of it runs across the rock and it might pick up a few solutes, but it's, it's pretty pure water. And it activates the organisms in the pool. It might stir up the sediment a little bit and you get an algal population that starts to grow. And the fairy shrimp, clam shrimp, tadpole shrimp are filtering algal cells out of the water column. Then you get something that comes in and churns up the sediment. So now you have a huge influx of nutrients into the water that the producers can take advantage of. I think you make it relatively eutrophic. It has excess nutrients for the balance of the system. And remember that the crustacean eggs, the ones that hatch when it first gets wet, are the only ones that are going to hatch during that wet dry cycle. 
and they can only eat so much and they can only eat so fast. But the algal cells are dividing like crazy because they have lots and lots of nutrients. And so you end up with an excess of algae. You get a cloudy pothole. And I've seen them stay that way for like three, four weeks. It's not like things settle back out. It is maintained as a cloudy system. Tim has spent so much time studying potholes that he's actually discovered a new species. One of the things I like about doing pothole work is people that have studied alpine vegetation know the term belly plant, where the plant is so short that you have to lay on your belly to study it. That's why I like potholes. You know, they're belly ecosystems. You have to lay on your belly to, to examine them. So I was looking in some of these little pools and I started seeing these little black dots that were moving around. I was working for the park service at the time and I was out in Salt Valley and the weed supervisor for Grand County at the time, Ted Tibbetts, was out there looking for noxious weeds and we got to talking and he was really interested in plant mites. And he was all excited because he was going to mite school in Ohio that summer. So we sent some off to the guy that was running the mite school. He sent it off to an expert for that family. And it came back that it was an undescribed species. So the species new to science and eventually it was described and um, it was named after me. So the, the genus is Paraquanathrus and the species name is Grammi. So when they first looked at it, the closest relative was found in rock pools in South Africa. Paraquanathrus means it's like a quanathrus, which is the South African genus. Well, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, thanks so much for talking to Science Moab and really appreciate learning more about the potholes around us. Sure, anytime. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab Media is by Sophia Fisher, newsletter by Rhonda Cook, our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes, and consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.